Hi, everybody. Good morning. Is it okay if I sit down? Okay, awesome. <laughs> I had a long day, a couple days of travel lately, so it feels good just to sit and rest and to be with sisters and with Jesus. So coffee and Jesus and sisters, right? So this is our last teaching on the woman series. So Kim brought us the first two um, teachings in January and February. In January, um, we learned that you are created by God, and you're created in his image, and you're beautiful, and you're made in his image, and no weapon formed against you will prosper. And I'm standing on that promise. You've been called into God's purposes. You are qualified and you're special. And then last month, we had a very special time of prayer. Um, We heard the stories of Tamar and Dinah and the concubine. And we were able to hear Kim's story um, of personal sexual abuse and what that means. Why is it in the word? Why is that important for us to hear today? And so many of us were able to come and have a powerful special time of prayer and healing, myself included, at the prayer time. And today we're focusing on what are to be believed as Jesus's first words after he's resurrected. So first words are pretty special, right? So how many mamas do I have in the room? A lot of mamas. First words are special, right? So you're like kind of waiting, you're like hearing those little, you know, noises that can maybe kind of sound like a word, but you're hoping and praying that you can capture that very first word. So when I was thinking about this, I called my mom and I said, what was my first word? And so she said, um, I have three children. I'll have to go check your baby book. (laughs) So I said, okay, no problem. I'm not offended. That's fine. Um, So she went back and she said, Two of you said daddy first, and one of you said mama first, but did not remember which one was which. So at least she knew that much. And so she called me back, and she said, you're the one that said mama first. So that was very special for us to to have that. So first words, again, just can you think about, like, someone you haven't talked to in a really long time? And maybe you're having going into a conversation that maybe, even be like a little uncomfortable and you're trying to think like, what am I going to say first? What are they going to say first? So first words are pretty important. On my way to Israel this year, I'm packing up, or last year, it's already been last year, I'm packing up, packing my bags, and I'm literally running out of the door to get to the, to come to church, get to the airport. My phone is on the counter. It's ringing. I see it's ringing. It's a local number that I don't recognize, but I kind of recognize. Like, I think I know that number. I let it go to voicemail. I get in the car, and I listen to the voicemail, and all I hear is, Crystal, it's me. And then my friend that I haven't talked to in 10 years calls me, 10 years. And the first thing he said was my name, Crystal. And by just that, I knew who it was because they said my name first. So first words are super important. We can begin to think of people that we might even miss dearly, and we don't have the privilege of hearing their voice on this side of heaven again, but we can anticipate maybe what our first conversation is going to be like in heaven. So first words are just super important. And I was thinking about God and his first words that are recorded in Genesis, and it's let there be. And in that is just such a command. 
It's such a power, let there be. There's no question in that. It's a command. And it kind of brought me back to January where he created us to be beautiful in his image for a purpose. And that's who you are. And that's such a promise. And that's his first words. So his voice is generally, should be, what we cling to when we're trying to get an answer from him. His voice is what we listen for. And we listen and we can hear his voice through his word and through prayer and being from in a community of women who can speak truth to you. That happens to me over and over this morning alone. So being a part of community and a community of women, you can hear his voice and his truth for your sisters. And so um, as we're going into the study today, I've never read the voice version of the Bible. Has anyone ever read the voice version? Did you know that existed? And neither did I, but that was what I studied this topic on, this scripture. So we're going to be in John chapter 20. There's actually a voice version of the Bible. It's really cool. Um, So it starts with um, a narrator. So if you like plays and maybe reading novels where you have like a narrator telling the story and then you get into the action, that's kind of like what the voice Bible is. So did you guys know that Amazon, the Audible version, does anybody use Audible, like listening to books? Yeah. So they have, when I was thinking about narrator voices, you know, the typical thing, people came to my mind, James Earl Jones or um, who else I think about? Uh, Morgan Freeman. Um, those are the people that you kind of think about narrators, right? So they have a Hall of Fame of narrators on Amazon Audible. That's a thing. Um, Barack Obama has won a, a Grammy for his voiceover work. So whatever voice you want to think about when I'm reading the narrator part of the beginning of John chapter 20, you can have that narrator voice in your mind. For me, when I was a kid, I loved going to the library and sitting on the carpet and listening to the librarian read the, the books. Like I would ask my mom every summer, Tuesdays, Thursdays, I want to go to the library because I want to hear the narrator read, the, read those books to me. So I'm going to think about what God's voice thinks. When I think of God's voice, what does that sound like? So that's the voice I'm going to have when I'm reading this. I'm not a narrator. So that's the voice I'm going to have in my mind. So you can have whatever narrator's voice you want. Um, but the narrator in John chapter 20 gives us, it sets the scene for us. So in the voice version of the Bible, the narrator begins and says, As the lifeless body of Jesus is laid into the virgin tomb, those who witness the spectacle retreat into the city. So we're entering the story after Jesus has been arrested, he's had his trial, he's been crucified. And now he's buried in his tomb. And that's where the narrator is beginning. So everybody has seen what's happened and they retreat into the city, which is Jerusalem. And they know that this city has claimed so many lives of so many prophets, so they hide. All are crushed that their teacher and their friend has died such a horrible death. Their hopes are dashed against the rocks of Golgotha. In the first hours of grief, Jesus' followers huddle together in secret in the city, and they hope to avoid arrests and even executions. They mourn. They grieve. They remember. Three days later, some venture outside of the city and return to the place where he was buried. Miraculously, the stone has been rolled back, and the tomb is empty. Has someone taken his body? So in verse 1, 
we begin before the sun. So before the sun had risen on Sunday morning, this is John chapter 20, verse 1. Before the sun had risen Sunday morning, Mary Magdalene made a trip to the tomb where his body was laid to rest. So it's important for us to understand who Mary is, why before the sun even rose, she came to see Jesus. So number one, Mary had been healed by Jesus. Um, Luke chapter 8 tells us that she had um, seven demons and she was healed from them. So she was healed by Jesus and set free and delivered. So from the moment that she was healed, she fearlessly followed him. She's mentioned 14 times in the Gospels, and eight times she's mentioned with other women. And every time she's mentioned with another woman, she's always mentioned first. Why? Because the Gospel writers saw how fearlessly she followed him. Number two, we find out from previous chapters that Mary followed Jesus all the way to the cross. So the narrator tells us that people are hiding, they're getting away, because they know the city has killed prophets before, but not Mary. Mary followed Jesus all the way to the cross. She had seen up close the devastating effects of the bitter blows that Jesus received on the way to the cross. She saw his life leave his body. It must have seemed like the greatest possible disaster to have the one that you love the most and trust the most see them treated so violently. And we as women, we know how we love when we love fiercely, right? She didn't leave his side. After his death, number three, she followed him to the tomb. She was one of the last ones at the cross and one of the first ones at the tomb. She had watched his lifeless body become unceremoniously wrapped. So we know that Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus asked for the body of Jesus. So they take the body of Jesus, they bring him to the tomb, and they wrap him. And in Mark, it says that they bought 75 pounds of ointment to wrap Jesus' body in that moment. But Mary, and another Mary, um, knew that Jesus needed even more than that. So the one that had filled her heart her heart was a desire to do what she thought needed to be done properly. So as a final expression of her love to her master, she went back and started to prepare to come and see him again. And before um, she came back, she knew she had to get more spices. So after all he had done for her, it must have broken her heart to see his lifeless body prepared poorly in a, in a cold tomb. Jesus was a gift to her, and he had brought her to life. And in his death, all she wanted to do was care for him and to serve him. So number five, she came very early in the morning, even before the sun rose. And now we know why. She fiercely loved him. Her job was incredibly important, and she didn't waste any time to complete it. She's such a beautiful example to us as women, Serving our Jesus. It reminded me of Pastor Steve's sermon this past Sunday on James 2, where he said that our faith produces our actions, and our faith is a verb. She got up before the sun even rose to come and see Jesus. She saw Nicodemus and Joseph buy 75 pounds of ointment, but that still wasn't enough. She brought more, even before the sun rose. 
She was prepared. And we as women can be prepared too. We can be ready to jump into action when we're called. It can, Mary's example can help us think about what it looks like to come before the sun rises to complete what God has called you to do. So what does that look like for you? The second part of John chapter 1, verse 20, um, sorry, chapter 20, verse 1, in the darkness, she discovered that the covering, the stone, had been rolled away from the tomb, and she darted out of the garden to find Simon Peter and John. So if you're reading this in John, I love John because he says the one, the disciple that Jesus loved the most. He, like, kind of pumps himself up. <laughs> so John, if you're reading John and he says that, that's who he's talking about himself. So in John, so she went to find Peter and John to tell the news to them. So Mary says to them, they have taken the body of our Lord and we can't find him. Verse 6 says, there was no corpse in the tomb, only the linens and the cloths that he had wrapped in the cloth." The cloth that he had covered his face appeared to have been folded and carefully placed, not with the linen cloth, but to the side. And before this moment, none of them understood the scripture that he must be raised from the dead. And then they all went back to their home. Verse 11 says, Mary, however, stood outside of the tomb, sobbing, crying, kneeling at its entrance. As she cried, two heavenly messengers, two angels, appeared to her, sitting where Jesus' head and feet had been. And the angel said to her, Dear woman, why are you weeping? Mary stuck around, even in her tears and her despair. She didn't go back home. She stayed there. She sobbed, she cried, and she kneeled at the last place she knew Jesus was. And because she did that, she received comfort from two angels. So when you are seeking Jesus, linger. Linger until you find him. She didn't go back home. She stayed there. We're in the Lent season right now, and it's a time of waiting, a time of reflection, a time, um, it could be time of weeping for you. We're looking for a promise, we're reaching towards that time on Easter Sunday, on Resurrection Sunday that we get to celebrate. We're looking for that salvation, we're looking for our hope, we're looking inwardly what needs to die so that I can live in Jesus and like Mary, we can be outside of a tomb. We can be sobbing and crying at its entrance. But in this season, remember to linger because his presence is with you. So Mary says to the angels who asked her, why are you weeping? She says to them, they have taken my Lord and I can't find him. And verse 14 says, after uttering these words, she turned around and then she saw Jesus standing before her, but she didn't recognize him. And Jesus says to her, Dear woman, why are you sobbing? Second time. And I looked up sobbing, it means to weep with a convulsive catching of breath. <laughs> Have you ever done that? 
yeah, me too. When I got to verse 15, this is what it looks like on the screen. Jesus, dot, dot, dear woman, why are you sobbing? So if you're used to reading plays or books or novels, you kind of like get into like the character and you kind of like imagine yourself in the story, right? And so when I read that, I literally just paused. How many times have I drenched my pillow with my tears and maybe Jesus asked me that same question? I feel like I have a close association with the word cry because it's literally the first three words of my name, first three letters of my name. <laughs> when I was a little girl, kids would call me Crystal because I cried a lot. I still cry a lot. And that's okay. I've learned that that's okay because it's a part of who I am. My parents chose my name and that I cry and that's okay. So how many times have I cried and I didn't even know that Jesus could see me? Jesus was standing right in front of her and he said, woman, why are you crying? And she said, I don't know where Jesus is. How many times has he asked you that question? In my 20s, I moved from North Carolina to California, and I was just living my best life. I feel like I was living like what God wanted me, my perfect will for my life and direction. And then right, you know, as I was getting into the groove of living here, I experienced probably one of the hardest heartbreaks of my life at that time. And so I lost all my sense of normalcy. And I lost where I lived, who my friends were, Everything that I knew to be normal, I had lost because I came from one place, got planted one place, and that was ripped from me, and then nothing was normal. So that sent me into almost a constant state of crying. I lived my name those years. Um, in my car, at work, anywhere I was, and especially in my home. I had a blanket that I slept with that I had brought from North Carolina that I had used in college, and so I always slept with that blanket because I didn't care how many tears were on that because that was comfort to me. In those several first months, all alone in my silence of my house, I felt completely alone, and I often wondered where Jesus was. As I continued to search for him, and I would rise up early and go to him before the sun got up, and I would kneel down at the tomb, and I would weep, I began to hear Jesus say, dear girl, why are you sobbing? I could almost see him bending down, comforting me, counting my tears, seeing each one of them fall, and with each breath, I wanted to hold on to his next first word to me. What was going to be his next first word to me? Each new word that he would give me felt like the first one, and it was so life-giving. I was desperately holding on to his comfort, and I bet Mary felt like that every day with Jesus. Guys, she followed him everywhere. She had Jesus right there with her every single day. Can you imagine? And she was able to just linger with Jesus everywhere he went. Jesus' words must have felt like a blanket every day. And Jesus, being so kind to his daughter, Mary, he asked her, why are you weeping? And to me, that just seemed so comforting. Have you ever been crying and a stranger asks you why you're crying? 
Or have you been the stranger asking someone, why are you crying? That happened to Mary twice in this story. Two strange people, she thought, are asking her why she's crying. In his question, I, was, I like to think that he was really asking her this sweet question. How can I make it better? Why are you crying? How can I help you? I started thinking about why we even ask the question why, and it's usually to get a better, better understanding of what we're trying to understand. Why? I love the idea that maybe Jesus just wanted to hear Mary say why. Why were you crying? So he could get, like, the, so she could understand that the, he was the direct hope in her crisis. Where's the lie so I can tell you the truth? Jesus knew he could make it better because during his ministry, he taught from Matthew 5. In Matthew 5, he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit because theirs is the kingdom of God. And blessed are those who mourn and weep for they will be comforted. And that's why he wanted to do, why he wanted to ask her because he wanted her to know his comfort because she was desperately hopeless. So if you are completely crushed today, I want you to know that Jesus is the direct hope in your crisis, and you will be comforted. Jesus understands your tears. The shortest verse in the English translation of the Bible is, Jesus wept. He wept with sorrow over his friend Lazarus' death. He then showed up for a weeping family that had questions. And for a moment, Jesus was at a tomb, weeping too. He understood her tears. So if Jesus came to me today and I was weeping, what would my answer be if he asked me, why are you crying? Or why are you fill in the blank? Mary's answer was, I can't find Jesus. Where is he? And many times, how many times have you asked the question where? Even for little things. Where's my phone? Where's my keys? Where's my kid? (laughs) I don't have one yet, but I can imagine that's probably pretty scary. Um... So where's a very big question, and it's especially big when you're asking where Jesus is. Would my answer, if Jesus asked me, why am I fill in the blank, would my answer reveal to him that I feel alone? Would my answer say, I don't even know if you care about me? Would my answer be, maybe it doesn't even seem like you care enough about me to check on me? Would my answer be, am I relying fully on my own strength? Would my answer be, what would would it be? I was thinking back to the last time I just recently, like, really cried. And I was crying because I felt my faith was so fragile. 
Like, I felt like the enemy could just come in in one foul swoop, just knock everything down, and everything that I'd been building my faith on in this one little crummy moment sent me down a shattered trail of tears, and I was sobbing, and I felt hopeless, and I was asking, where, where are you, Jesus? Where is Jesus? Wasn't, weren't you just right here? I just saw you two days ago. And I know he was right here. Actually, I followed him here, and I saw them put him here. I know he was here. In fact, I've been planning to come see him in this same place for the last couple of days. That's all I've been thinking about because I wanted to come back and see you. And I got up even before the sun came, but you're not even here. And that doesn't make sense to me. There's a deafening silence when you don't have an answer to where. One of my favorite worship songs has a line that says, when I'm broken in the silence, I can hear you whispering. If we sit in in the moment and think about where Mary was, she was broken in a pretty silent place. It was a beautiful, lush garden, but it was full of silence before the sun even rose. Her heart, her broken heart, made a deep plea plea for an answer. Where have you put Jesus? Just tell me. My Savior who healed me, who was my constant reminder of my allegiance to him, where is he? And Jesus, in her broken silence, says, who is it that you're looking for? And she still had no idea who It was talking to her. She thought Jesus was a gardener, so she muttered, Sir, if it's you who carried him away, then just tell me where he is, and I'll go get him. Just tell me where he is. And Jesus, I like to think, had like this whisper shout. That's like my favorite. Like, Mary. So Jesus said, Mary. Mary. And Mary, turning to Jesus, said, Rabboni, my teacher. And with just one whisper, Jesus sweetly met Mary by the tomb in the moment of her pain. And what Mary discovered was that Jesus had not gone anywhere, even when it felt like it. In fact, he was intentionally meeting her when she felt most desperately hopeless. So the next time, you're struggling to see Jesus through your tears, he may ask you who you're looking for. Are you looking for him? He's not in the tomb, if that's where you've been looking. He meets us in every one of the where are you moments of our lives. He wants to revive you. He wants to take what was dead and to bring it to life. He hasn't gone anywhere, even when it feels like it. And he is so present in our despair that he actually wants us to announce to other people that he's there. So verse 17 says, Jesus says, go tell my brothers that you saw me. In verse 18, Mary says, Mary obeys, and she went directly to the disciples. And then she says to them, I have seen the Lord. I have seen my direct hope in my crisis. After Jesus whispered Mary's name, 
he gave her an immediate assignment. Mary was commissioned by Jesus himself to be the first person to tell the disciples that he has written. This was Jesus' next first word to her. After his whisper to you, listen for his next assignment. When he calls your name and lets you know he's there, listen for his next first word because it might be an assignment. As a fateful, weeping woman, she could now add to her title, given to her by her loving rabbi, commissioned. You are his messenger. Through your tears and through your despair, people need to see Jesus, and they need to see him through you. Verse 19 says, on that same evening, Resurrection Sunday, the followers gathered together behind locked doors in fear, so the guys are still hiding out, um, in fear that some of the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem were still searching for them. Out of nowhere, Jesus appeared in the center of the room, and Jesus says, may each one of you be at peace. To all of the weeping, to all of the brokenness, to all of the fear, to all of the hiding out, he speaks peace. Jesus says, I didn't save you, I didn't heal you, I didn't give my life for you to leave you alone, sobbing in silence of your despair. He speaks peace. He met Mary in the silence of the garden. He has met me with fortitude and strength and balance to keep fighting, to keep hoping, to keep believing. Because what can be too hard for him? He met a crying woman at a tomb he was in buried days before. Romans 8, 11 says that we have the same power that resurrected Christ. That same power lives in us. That's a gift to you. What can be too hard for him? What truths can we hold on to when we're standing at a tomb? We see an empty grave. We know Jesus was there, but we can't find him. For me, I shared a couple earlier, those truths that I can hold on to when I go back to the place where I think Jesus was, but he's not, and I can't see him, what do I hold on to then? So Beatitudes, because God's way of the world is not our way. And so when we read those, blessed are those that mourn and weep because they will be comforted, that's opposite of the way that we think. So I need to hold on to the actual words that Jesus said, those truths, so I understand that I can hold on to those when I can't seem to see him through my tears and through my despair. One of my other favorite verses is in Psalms, and it's Psalm 126.5. And it says, those who sow in tears will reap with shouts of joy. So look for those shouts of joy. In 2017, God gave me the word for my year as celebration. If you saw my 2016, 2015, 2014, if you just kept ticking back, you would see only years of tears. 2017 comes around, and he says, it's your year to celebrate. And I said, I haven't done that in a really, really long time. But I kept clinging to those who sow in tears will reap with shouts of joy. 
So in 2017, I purposed in my mind to only look for shouts of joy and for celebration. And over and over and over again, I saw them. So look, if you're weeping, if you're sowing with your tears, look for your shouts of joy. Another truth that I've been holding on to since the beginning of this year is in Hosea. Hosea chapter 2. And in the scripture, God is making a promise to start over with Israel. And he uses this beautiful imagery of Israel as a bride. So Jesus, God, is talking to Israel like a woman. As a woman who has been heartbroken, as a woman who has been weeping, he wants to give us hope to be his bride. He wants to woo Israel back into his hope, and he writes another dear woman letter. God says, and now here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to start all over again. I'm going to take her back into the wilderness where we had our first date. I'll court her. I'll turn her heartbreak valley into acres of hope. She'll respond like she did as a young girl and out of those days of Egypt when she was fresh. When I first heard the scripture, um, I had the imagery of, when I heard the word acre, I immediately thought of where I grew up. And um, this slide is a picture of me and my dad. I think I was probably like, hmm, I would say nine or 10. And um, my parents um, worked with a builder to build um, the home that I grew up in. Um, and we moved there when I was six years old. But I remember um, when I was five, leaving my room. Has anyone ever moved as a child and you're like really sad you had to leave your house? You had to leave your special room? So I clearly remember being five, sitting on the floor. My whole room was empty. Um, I understood that we were moving. And so living to my name, I sat there and cried. And I remember looking to the left because I had my stove and my refrigerator there and it was no longer there and I was really upset about that and so I was just sitting there and I was crying because I thought that I was you know I was leaving I was literally in sorrow because I was leaving the special room but I'd had no idea where I was moving to I hadn't seen it I didn't know so this picture is me and my dad and My dad chose this special place for us to move to, and it had acres. Not, we didn't own all of them, but around us were acres and acres. And you can see, I don't know if you can see, but like my dad had chopped down some trees. He's like moving some dirt around, and we had to sow all of our grass. You can see there's probably not very much grass there. And so he had to work really hard on these acres. And I had some of my best days there. I lived there until I went to college, from six to when I was in college. I saw the best forts built by my brothers and their friends in these woods. My cat used to frolic around the creek over there, and it was just the best. But before I got there, I was sitting in a room just crying because I was leaving. But I had no idea my dad was planting acres of hope for me. And over and over in my life, God has been faithful to turn my heartbreak valleys into acres of hope. So, dear woman, he says that no matter how broken you are, he wants to court you again. 
He wants to give you bouquets of roses. He wants to come by your side in the moment of your pain and ask you, dear woman, why are you crying? He wants to give you acres of hope. I feel like that's what he did for Mary. He turned her heartbreak valley into acres of hope. She went from kneeling and sobbing at a tomb to running and telling people that Jesus is actually here again, guys. He showed her the power of resurrection. He showed her an empty tomb. He made her a minister of the gospel. He showed her that even though she couldn't see him for a moment, he never left her. And he'll never leave you. For all of your life, he has been faithful to you. This week, or wasn't it yesterday? I don't know. My days feel like they're mixed up sometimes. But the shooting in New Zealand, I saw... I was in an airport, and so I haven't been able to read or look at a lot of things, but in a moment, I glanced, and I saw a TV screen, and there was a Muslim woman sitting beside a Jewish woman, and they were both broken and in sorrow, and that image just stuck with me throughout the whole rest of the day, and I got home, and I was thinking about it, and um, I remembered my first mission trip to um, London was actually to the unreached people of the Arab nations who those nations don't allow you to go in as a missionary. So when those people leave those nations, they generally go to London for the summer um, to have their holidays. So they live in London their whole summer. So our mission trip was to go to London to reach these people who we could never reach in their own nation. And so woman to woman is who we could talk to. So I was a woman, so I could talk to a woman. And I, when I was just kept thinking about this massacre and this Jewish woman sitting beside this Muslim woman, heartbroken, sobbing, and in sorrow, I just kept thinking back to the woman that I saw on the street in London. And it moved me so much that I wrote a poem that day, 14 years ago, in London. And I remembered that poem, and the Holy Spirit said, the words you're trying to find right now are in that poem. Because I couldn't figure out where I was feeling about this sorrowful emotion. So I'm going to read you just a small part of that poem. I got home last night around 7.30 from the airport, and I was like, Jesus, where is that poem? It's 14 years, multiple moves. I have no idea where it is. I go to the garage. He said, black box garage. I went to the garage. The black box, I found it in a folder. So... I won't read it all to you, but I'll start with a woman like me. So just to set the picture, fully covered. You can't see anything but the slit in her eyes. A woman who cries. A woman who laughs. A woman who loves and one who fears. A woman like me. She, like me, created in our mother's womb by a father who knew us and formed us in his secret place. Precious in his sight, we are his beloved. She in her black flow of beauty with her hidden face and her hidden heart and a hidden smile is continually and incessantly watched by her father. He longs to catch her tears, to take her heart in his careful hands and embrace it. I saw all these things behind her hidden eyes and my heart cried for her, her freedom, and her eternal decision. In my hand, I held life. I was holding a Bible. 
I, in my heart, I held a prayer. From my lips, I held a call to the truth. From my eyes to her and from her steps to mine, from my fingertips to hers, something divinely was found. Even though you may be a weeping woman in despair, you are commissioned. And we are all commissioned to be a light. So that those two women sitting beside each other in despair, Jesus calls you in commission. And maybe at the time of your um, discussion at your tables, you can pray for every woman who's weeping, who's lost a family member in this massacre because Jesus sees her. He sees her weeping. He sees her despair. And we are commissioned to be those women that tell women that Jesus is there for them. He hasn't left them, not even for a moment. He wants you to know that he is your direct hope in crisis, that he deeply wants to hear you, hear him whisper your name in the silence of your despair. How can Jesus speak his resurrection power directly to your moment of despair? Nothing is too hard or too hidden for the one who met Mary on the other side of his grave clothes. He deeply cares why you weep. He deeply cares why you're broken. Look for your shouts of joy because you have acres of hope to harvest. Let's pray. Jesus, we kneel in the silence of our despair in the expectation of our hope. We know that you've never missed one of our tears while we've wept. You've stood before us even when we wondered where you were. You never left us even when we couldn't see you. Thank you for turning our heartbreak valleys into acres of hope that while we're sitting one place weeping, may we have expectation of where you're taking us, what you've prepared for us, what you've worked tirelessly to give us. And so I just thank you for your faithfulness to us, that you care deeply. You see us. We're not hidden. Even if we're alone in the silence and the brokenness of our despair, we're not alone. Thank you for whispering our names and for reminding us you're right here. We thank you for every one of our sisters. We thank you for embracing them, covering them, and commissioning them to be your voice. Thank you for your truth that we can stand on when we're standing at an empty tomb, wondering where you are. We can hear your voice. We thank you for your love, for your faithfulness all the days of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.